movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thanks for listening to us today. Ben, how often do you eat apples? Um. Is it once a day? No. Because because that's how you keep the doctor away. Right. But since you haven't been eating them, that's why we're watching this movie. The Mad Doctor of Fleet Street. (laughs) That's not the title. <laughs> what are we watching? It's The Mad Doctor of Market Street. Ah, well, I was close. How are you doing today, Sarah? <laughs> I'm very tired. I didn't get to sleep in today. I am also very tired. I didn't sleep. Period. Yeah. I've been fighting a really bad case of insomnia for the past little while. So, we're watching The Mad Doctor of Market Street. <laughs> Oh, so last week we watched The Wolfman from Universal, and we really enjoyed that, right? We did. Um, It didn't rank, like, in the top five, spoiler alert, but it did fairly well, and it's, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we have a list where, you know, if you're in the top 20, you're a pretty good movie. I mean, we're getting up to having, like... We have 86 or 87 movies on the list now. So, you know, if you're in the top 20, you're doing well. Mm-hmm. That's like the top quarter? Yeah. So, when Universal Studios produced The Wolfman, they initially intended on releasing it in a double feature, with The Wolfman as an A movie, and this film, The Mad Doctor of Market Street, as the B movie. But, um... Plans were changed, and the two movies were split apart when the attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, made the studio wary of how back-to-back horror movies might be received by an audience. Was it usual to have the A picture and B picture be of the same genre? Because in my head, like, I always kind of pictured it as, like, you know, if your A picture is going to be a drama, have the B picture be a comedy. You know, a kind of balancing effect. Yeah, you normally wouldn't have the same because in the Hollywood of this period, certain genres were almost exclusively B-movie genres. You know, westerns, horror, science fiction. You know, so you wouldn't have enough A pictures in those genres to make those kind of pairings. You know... Universal's instinct to not have this back-to-back horror show was probably for the best, given the critical lashing that The Wolfman got uh, for being a horror movie that came out, you know, within a week of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So they pushed Mad Doctor of Market Street's release date into early 1942, uh, which makes it our first 1942 film. The director is someone we've seen before. Uh, It's Joseph H. Lewis, whose above-average efforts as a B-movie director we appreciated in the case of The Invisible Ghost Mm -hmm. with Bela Lugosi. He's the guy who puts wagon wheels in front of the camera in his westerns. Yes. So this is actually going to be the last time that we see a film by him, uh, because his career would take him basically into film noir 
after this, mm. uh, and on to the few works that would later earn him some critical appeal, uh, particularly 1950s Gun Crazy. Okay. So if he does show up in the future, it, it's probably a, this is not a horror movie kind <laughs> of case. Yeah. The case of the mistaken horror movie. We get that a lot. So in the title role, as the Mad Doctor, uh, is our longtime fave Lionel Atwell, mm-hmm. uh, who we last saw as the villain in Man-Made Monster, which was also a mad scientist part for Universal. Was the first time that we saw him on the show Dr. X? That's right. Yeah. Cool. Because that's still like the picture that comes to mind when his name pops up. I think of Murders in the Zoo, but uh, for sure. In the intervening time between Man-Made Monster and now, uh, Atwell had appeared in a small role in the classic comedy To Be or Not To Be, um, about a troupe of hammy actors trying to stage a production of Hamlet in Nazi-occupied Poland. Oh my god. Yeah, it's uh, Mel Brooks's favorite movie. Yeah, that sounds like a movie I would like to watch. It's very good. Critics were really mean to it at the time because um, making fun of the Nazis during World War II was considered to be in poor taste. So Lionel Atwell had been going through some rough times around this period of his life. His son, by his first wife, John Arthur Atwell, had died uh, in the war in April of 1941. Uh, You must remember that, you know, even though he's been in Hollywood for a long time now, Atwell uh, is from London originally. Um, And his son was serving, I believe, in the RAF. And Mad Doctor of Market Street's actually going to be the last time that we see Atwell in a starring role. Oh. Um, We'll see him in movies in the future, but never again in a major role like this. Uh, because a major scandal developed around him that would end up engulfing his private and professional life. Oh, tell me more. Well, buckle up, because it's going to get wild. Okay. So the story starts with a young girl named Sylvia Hamelaine, and she was 16 years old in 1941, and she had come to Hollywood to seek her fortune. And she'd fallen in with an older couple uh, in order to have, you know, a a place to stay. She ended up taking this older couple to court on the charge of mistreating her. In the course of the grand jury investigation, it came up that the three of them had gone to a Christmas party in 1940 at the home of an actor, where pornographic films were shown and the guests were engaging in sexual escapades with each other around the house. Oh my goodness. Okay. The older man of this couple had seduced young Sylvia and had sex with her at this party with the encouragement of the older woman in the couple who was present in the room. This, of course, is statutory rape. Yes. So, as part of a defense strategy, the couple's attorney attempted to deflect the grand jury's attention away from his clients and towards the actor who had hosted the porn and orgy party at his house, Lionel Atwill. Wow, I never would have pegged Atwill as someone who would host orgies in his house. You said this was a Christmas party? Mm-hmm. Of all the times! So Atwill, at this time, was brought before the grand jury, and he denied ever having known these three people. Uh, he denied having this party. <laughs> Of course, dude. And he denied ever owning or exhibiting 
pornographic films. Oh, it was just an actor who looked like Lionel Latwell. It was Lionel Latwell. He appeared in court in August of 1941 uh, for this grand jury hearing. Uh, and when he appeared in court, he was actually wearing a memorial armband for his recently deceased son. Mm. The grand jury ultimately decided that there was not enough evidence for an indictment in this case, and so the matter was dropped. However, in 1942, a second grand jury was convened, as it had come to light that the first grand jury had been very negligent in its investigation. The second grand jury did not find any additional evidence about the statutory rape, but they did find, in the course of their investigation, several other people who had attended the Lionel Atwell Christmas party, who at least corroborated the porn and orgy part of the story. So Atwell was brought forth on charges of perjury. He initially pled not guilty, but when it became clear that a trial would air all his dirty laundry and expose all of his friends who attended that party, he changed his plea to guilty. And in September of 1942, he was sentenced to five years probation. Atwill found himself blacklisted to a minor degree, uh, unable to get parts in anything but B-movies, poverty row pictures, and serials, and then only in minor supporting roles. In early 1943, he appealed his sentence to a judge, arguing that the stigma made it impossible for him to earn a living, and thus the sentence had been cruel and unusual punishment. The judge took pity and commuted the sentence, even arranging to have the record expunged so that in a legal sense, Atwell had never been convicted in the first place. However, by this point, the damage had been done in terms of sort of the court of public opinion. And in 1943, his third wife divorced him. Uh, they'd been separated, however, since 1939. Mm -hmm. His career never really recovered. Uh, as I said, we'll continue to see him, but never again in a lead role. In 1944, uh, he married his fourth wife, with whom he would have a son, who is his only uh, surviving child. Mm -hmm. So when Mad Doctor was being made, all but the initial grand jury hearings where Atwell had committed the perjury were still in the future. Um, so, you know, he had gone to these grand jury hearings. There were some whispers around what they were about, but everything had been dropped. That's kind of where we were at now. But between this and the next, you know, opportunity he had to star in something, he was going to get indicted for perjury. So that kind of killed off his career. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So Atwell's co-stars in Mad Doctor are an eclectic bunch. More eclectic than a Christmas sex party? Maybe not. <laughs> uh, the lead actress is Una Merkel, and she was once an extremely popular comedic actress in the pre-code era in films such as the original Maltese Falcon and 42nd Street. Uh, she specialized in kind of being the tough, witty, or cynical best friend or sidekick girl in, you know, those kind of Warner Brothers gritty pre-code sex comedies, basically. Sex uh, comedies, not sex Christmas parties. Right. We've actually already seen Una Merkel. We last saw her way, way back as the young niece in 1930's The Bat Whispers. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. 
The coming of the production code had stifled the kind of films and roles she was most successful in, and so her career had taken something of a downturn. Uh, and it was sort of at the lowest part of that downturn around the time of making this movie. Alongside her, we find 47-year-old Olympic wrestler-turned-actor Nat Pendleton. I was just about to ask whether this was, like, Grecian wrestling or, like, professional wrestling. He won silver at the 1920 Summer Olympics. After becoming, you know, an Olympic medal athlete, he did what a lot of Olympic medal athletes do, which is try to parlay that into being a celebrity. And he basically pivoted to film, as it were, and starred in hundreds of movies, usually as strongmen, athletes, thugs, cops, and generally brawny but not too bright characters. Hmm. Uh, he was often uncredited in these roles, and this movie is one of the few times where he was given a lead role in a film. Good for him. Also in the cast is Anne Nagel, uh, who we have previously seen in Black Friday and Man Made Monster, mm -hmm. where she was the... Damsel. Yeah. She was like the niece assistant. Mm -hmm. So the film's plot involves um, some stuff set on a Polynesian island. Oh, no. And, of course, none of the performers are Polynesian. Yeah. They all come from a very diverse ethnic background. Uh, actor Ray Mala was a native Alaskan and one of the first major Native American movie stars. He appeared in many films through the 20s and 30s and transitioned to becoming a cinematographer in his middle age when, you know, the roles dried up. Sure. Light-skinned African-American actor Noble Johnson, who plays the island chief, is someone we've seen multiple times before, most prominently in Murders in the Rue Morgue, but audiences would recognize him most probably from his roles in King Kong and The Most Dangerous Game. The chief's wife is played by Rosina Gali, an Italian-American actress, and another Islander character is played by Al Kakumi, a Hawaiian actor who made a career out of playing these kind of roles in these kind of movies. Okay. So, The Mad Doctor of Market Street was released on February 27th, 1942. So, you know, some distance from the war having started. And it was a, you know, mild success. Didn't set the world on fire, but, you know, made its money back. When it was released, was it still like a B picture paired with an A picture? Yeah, yeah. So it would have been paired with, with you know, something else, right? Okay. Today, it's a little bit hard to come by. Um, it's available on DVD from the TCM Archive, which is TCM's line of sort of print-on-demand DVDs. And you can get it either by itself or part of the Universal Cult Horror Collection, which also includes Lionel Atwell's movie Murders in the Zoo. Maybe this is just my bias, but given that it's being released by TCM, maybe that kind of speaks to quality? Potentially. Um, and we know that, you know, Joseph Lewis, you know, brings some style to things when he directs. And, you know, we enjoy Lionel Atwell. Um, it might also be a case of just TCM wanting there to be an avenue to get some of these movies out that just are neglected by their rights holders. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, you know... Nobody's clamoring for a big 4K Blu-ray re-release of Mad Doctor of Market Street, you know? <laughs> Except for us, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, well, hopefully, folks, you can find a copy and can watch along. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and then when we come back, we will discuss The Mad Doctor of Market Street.
from 1942, directed by Joseph H. Lewis. Cool. I'll see you on the other side. Nah, we're in the 1942 now. <laughs> Film noir exists. Nah. Okay. Yep. Oh, well, I hope everybody enjoys the movie. to Scream Scene, we just finished watching The Mad Doctor of Market Street from 1942, directed by Joseph H. Lewis. What did you think, Sarah? I thought it was odd that a movie with the title being like, you know, this person on a specific location, and we get like maybe five minutes of that in the opening, almost like a prologue. Yeah. And then the rest of it is either on a ship or on an island. Yeah. It would be like if the title of Batman Begins was The Marriage of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. Or if um, the demon barber of Fleet Street started on Fleet Street and then he went to an island to give haircuts. Anyways. Okay. Okay. So tell us what this movie was about. Because honestly, like, I, I almost drifted off to sleep. Yeah. Which is a great... Thing for a horror movie to do. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, was fighting back sleep. I mean, I also haven't slept, so, you know, little from column A, little from column B. <laughs> so, yes, as you pointed out, The Mad Doctor of Market Street is a title that accurately describes this movie's first five minutes, where we open on Market Street on a rainy, thundery, Film horror movie kind of day, mm-hmm. and this you know, desperate man, goes to Dr. Ralph Benson, who's played by Lionel Atwill and has the same beard as Hugo Strange from the Batman comics. And this guy's, like, basically desperate for cash, so he's offered to basically give himself up to science for Dr. Benson to experiment on uh, in exchange for, like, I think it's like a thousand bucks. Dr. Benson's experiments are in suspended animation, which, you know freezing someone or suspending their animation uh, so that, you know, if they're sick, you wait till a cure has been discovered, then you bring them out of it, and then you cure them. And at this point, I turned to Ben and asked, haven't we seen this premise before? Yeah, in Man With Nine Lives. Yeah. So. That was a way better movie than this. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Benson puts this guy under by, like, chloroforming him, essentially, it turns out, like, this guy has been, like, missing or something because it's been enough for his wife, who's played by Ann Nagel, to contact the police to get them to, like, go to this doctor's office and, like, raid it. And, you know, Dr. Benson hears the police coming, and he, like, busts out a window, and they arrive on the scene, and the experimental subject is dead on the table. So now... Dr. Benson is wanted for murder, and he's now known as the Mad Doctor of Market Street because, you know, the press. That's the title of the movie. Exactly. So, cut to a boat. And this is a, like, 
cruise liner or something. Think of like the Titanic. And it's Only headed... it doesn't. It, it's going into the South Seas and it doesn't hit an iceberg. It's headed towards Australia and New Zealand, and there are a bunch of characters on it. You know, just stock archetypes. Everyone who bought a ticket on this boat just walked right out of central casting. Also on the boat is Dr. Benson. He's shaved his beard into a mustache, so no one recognizes him. (laughs) And, you know, he's trying to escape to Australia, as you do when you're a criminal. So the various characters we meet on this boat are going to be our main group of people. Uh, There's Una Merkel, who is actually billed above Lionel Atwill, and she is playing Aunt Margaret. Basically, she's like a ditzy comic relief character. Then there's uh, Nat Pendleton, who's playing the role of Red, who's basically a washed-up boxer, who's kind of a dumb lunkhead. They both are billed above, like, who you would traditionally call the male-female leads in this movie. There's Jim, who's basically a deckhand who is working for the cruise line to save up to go to college, and he is hitting on Patricia, uh, who is Margaret's niece... And she's played by Claire Dodd. And they have a very standard, hate-each-other-at-first, grow-to-love-each-other-later 1940s movie romance. There's also, like, a stuck-up officer of the ship. And I think that's it, right? That's all the people? Okay, okay. You need to know these people. That's fine. Basically, there's also a detective on board who is looking for Dr. Benson. So, in his brilliant disguise of mustache instead of beard. Dr. Benson lures this detective out to look at the sights over the railings one night and pushes him overboard. But a deckhand spots him, and so he, you know, he's running away from people going to find him. And uh, and the rumor goes around the ship that Ralph Benson's on board. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, you know, you... Do what you do, you light a fire and burn the ship down and escape when they throw everyone onto the lifeboats. All of the characters who we've met on the boat all coincidentally end up in the same lifeboat and they wash up on this Polynesian island. And basically, at this point, the movie transitions to being Gilligan's Island with a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, imagine if the professor in Gilligan's Island like, met some natives on the island and was like, aha, with my knowledge of technology, I will rule them as a god. That's this movie. So what happens is there's a woman in the native village on this Polynesian island, and she's having a heart attack. And the villagers think she's dead. Dr. Benson knows that he can just basically stick her heart with some adrenaline and get her going again, and so they see what they think is him bringing her back to life and proclaim him the god of life, and now he's super powerful. And he decides with all this power that they're not leaving this island, he's going to basically just use it as his new laboratory and source of guinea pigs for his suspended animation experiments. So everybody's kind of all stuck here, nobody's very happy about that. It's pointed out to Benson by one of the native women that maybe he would like to take a wife, like a like a white woman, like one of the two white women as a wife. And Benson comes to the decision that, like, yeah, because he'll need to make 
I guess, like, more people to experiment on somehow, so might as well take a wife, I guess. So he, you know, does the old, you know, the girl in the movie has to marry me or else I'll kill your boyfriend kind of shtick. Um, and part of this involves actually putting Jim under with the old chloroform and the natives think he's dead and Benson like buries him in like a crypt in a cave under some rocks. And three days later he goes again. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the plan anyways, right? So he wants to get um, Patricia to marry him and she won't do it unless he brings Jim back to life. So he kind of finally caves, brings Jim back to life. And once Jim's alive again, Jim explains to the other crew members, like, oh, shit, man, I wasn't dead. He's not bringing people back from the dead. He's just putting them in suspended animation and then reviving them. I know about this because I'm actually a med student. Remember way back at the start of the movie when I said I was paying my way through college? Ah? Uh, anyways. <laughs> so. But now the natives are very, like, convinced. Exactly. At uh, these powers. Exactly. So... Our intrepid heroes try to make sort of a getaway at one point uh, by stealing sort of a, a native canoe. And it doesn't go all the way right for them because the upper class stuck up officer character from the boat decides he's just basically going to take off without everybody. And when he does that, like a native scout like spots him stealing this canoe and goes after him and they wrestle in the water until they both drown. Later, our heroes find the drowned native man's body and figure, aha, now to expose this charlatan. And they bring the body to Benson and they're like, bring this dude back to life. And Benson's like, uh, uh, well, you see, I left my bringing back to life gear in my other pants, like just <laughs> sweating bullets. And our heroes are like, well, bye, we're going to leave now. And the natives are like, you do this right now, before the sun comes up. He's like, yeah, for sure, totally easy, like all the other times I did it. And then the sun comes up, and he hasn't done it, so they burn him to death. Meanwhile, all of the other characters are rescued. The end. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, it's, it's not even like a good, bad movie, because nothing that the characters do actually help move the plot forward. It, you know, like, the, the natives would probably found the kid. You know, he's just, like, floating up to shore. Like, mm -hmm. other people would have found him, and they would have taken it to the god of life or whatever, and then he would have been exposed. Yeah. They don't do... The characters that get rescued, they don't do anything special to get rescued. They're just like, well, glad we got out of that predicament, but we're still on this island. And then a plane flies by, and they're like, oh, hey... The plane from before. It's just a series of events happening to the point, and like, I, it's just a bad mess and bland and awful. Speaking of the plane that rescues them at the end, uh, I did forget to mention that when the plane comes down to rescue them, like, by then the natives have killed yeah. Dr. Benson and they're running after everyone, and everyone has to run to the plane, and it's literally like the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Like, it's that, it's that scene. To the point where we were like, was George Lucas alive to get to see this in theaters? He yeah. was not. He, he would have seen this on, like, a re-release or on TV or something. Um, but it's, like, right up that kind of pulp alley. Yeah. This movie 
doesn't feel like it was written as a story. <laughs> what I what I mean by that is this movie feels like a series of cliches just kind of glued together. Like you have this mad scientist suspended animation, you know, his what he wants to do is noble but he himself is crazy lust for power thing that you kind of get from the Columbia Boris Karloff movies. Um, it's also very similar to Dr. Cyclops structurally yeah. where we have the scientist kills a dude at the start and that's kind of the most horror part of the movie. And the rest of the movie is like an adventure story with a bunch of characters versus the scientist in like a exotic setting. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, the South Seas Island adventure part, which has like all these really predictable tropes the whole villain forcing the heroine to marry him thing is like such like a corny trope that really like isn't in the movie for a very good reason right it's just there so it can be there so we can threaten patricia because like the rationale behind it is is flimsy at best and it's like this is some like saturday morning cartoon ass shit right here i mean that doesn't exist right now so i guess this is what that becomes but yeah stuff just happens in this movie because that's the thing that happens next in a movie like this and all of the characters are just these one note cardboard stock types there are i want to say three good things about this whole movie three okay yeah so the first is lionel atwell's performance it's not really anything that we haven't seen him do before i just enjoy watching him do like egotistical, maniacal, mad scientist a lot. There's just something the way about the way he delivers his lines you, and his accent. You really believe him as the kind of person who would play God over, like, an island of people. Yeah. For no real reason other than egotism. Yeah. Like... Or it, orgies at a Christmas party. Right. Okay. <laughs> I am the lord of the orgies at the Christmas party. (sighs) Go on. The second thing I like about this movie, and clearly the the movie likes it too, is, you know, I think Joseph H. Lewis as a director, like, does deliver on his reputation for, like, adding a little bit of stylishness to this. I mean, this doesn't look like, you know, Revolt of the Zombies when it's on the island. It doesn't look like Torture Ship when it's on the ship. Like... It, it's competently made for a movie of its budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, Joseph Lewis thought he had come up with one really cool thing, which is basically every time Benson kills someone, we see it like from the person's point of view with like Lionel Atwell staring down the lens of the camera and inching closer and closer with like the chloroform... Um, like cotton swab or whatever until he like puts it all the way over the lens to signify that he's, he's knocked the person out and it's really cool. The first time it happens and then the second time it happens, you're like, ah, well, cause I got kind of undercut it, right? He's about to chloroform the girl, this native girl, but yeah. then he like drumming starts and he's distracted and stops. And then the third time they do it by then you're kind of like, yeah, I get it. Got you, it. You thought this was a cool shot. But and, and the jungle allows for a lot of like leaves in front of the camera. Yeah. There's no wagon wheels because it's not a western. Right. But yeah, you know, as much as like by the end of the movie I was like, yeah, I get it. 
it's a cool shot. So I'm going to give the movie that. Okay. The third thing that I like about this movie is, you know, the part of the movie that actually deserves the title Mad Doctor of Market Street. Like, the first, like, scene of this movie is is pretty good. It held a lot of promise for the movie to come. And it it's just... Not... The rest of the movie isn't that, really, at all. It's just yeah. a very by-the-numbers South Seas Adventures movie of the kind that Hollywood was just sort of, you know, pumping out. So to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about with this prologue, like, it is basically, you know, we see this man down on his luck walking through the rain, and he looks very puzzled. And it goes right from there until, you know, they discover his body, there's, like, police reports, we get a bit of a montage to that, and then it cuts to, we're on a ship. So it's it's fairly short in terms of the actual runtime. I'd say probably, like, ten minutes or less, probably more like five or it's, seven. It's five, uh, maybe even a little less, because the fire on the boat, that was the 15-minute mark. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because this movie's only an hour long. Yeah. Um, but the way that the man in the rain was shot, the way his face is, and the way he's delivering his lines and is directed to behave, even Lionel Atwell, when he's in the lab, like, the shading, shading, he's... the shadows, it's all very, like, you can see why this director went on to do film noir, because it's, like, it's very stylish. Well, and, like, when we first see Atwell, he, like, walks into being underlit, right? Yeah, which I loved. Yeah, like, it's it's weird. It feels like they, I don't know, did they have, like, kind of a script for a generic South Seas adventure movie that they sort of, like, stitched this horror prologue onto? Or did they think that, like, doing that kind of adventure movie but with, like, a mad scientist of that kind of style added in would, like, spice it up from the norm? It's it's hard to say. What is interesting is, like, when you look at the poster for this movie, I was showing Sarah this during the break, like, there's no way you can guess that this is a South Seas adventure movie. Except for Lionel Atwell's tan. Right. He's, you know, his head is all big in the poster, and there's a tagline, genius or fiend, and then there's, like, a cityscape behind him, and then the heads of some of the other characters near the bottom, you know, and it's the mad doctor of Market Street. Like... There's nothing to say this is going to be Gilligan's Island with a psychopath. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing that tells you that at all. And so it's, it's, I wonder, you know, sometimes we watch these movies and we feel like we got, you know, a little bit of a bait and switch. This is literally that. Yeah, like, yeah, at, at times I think, well, you know, an audience of the time wouldn't have felt that way. But I think this is a case where, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I think audiences would have walked out of this going, this isn't the movie I bought a ticket for, you know what I mean? Like, Maybe they wanted it to be a little lighter, given that it was originally supposed to go with Wolfman, which has such, like, a tragic end. Sure, I and mean, that's fair. This ends with, like, here comes the bride coming in over the credits or whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it's it's a much, much lighter movie. There are really only two horror scenes mm-hmm. in the movie. And, you know, they're, they're the first scene, the, fir- the prologue, right? And then the other scene that actually is, um, speaks to horror is near the end when it's Lionel Atwell's character, like, operating under the time limit and there's nothing he can do and he knows there's nothing he can do and he's just fiddling about till sunrise when they're inevitably going to burn him. That was the only other time that I felt like this strayed into horror movie territory because the rest of the time, even, you know, when he's 
doing dastardly things, it's more on the side of an adventure story, and he's just, you know, the bad guy. Yeah, I think your comparison of this to Dr. Cyclops was really apt, because, like, I couldn't really put my finger on, like, why this movie, why it felt like I had seen this movie before, but (laughs) you're totally right, it's Dr. Cyclops. No one shrinks in this movie, and I want to give false impressions. It's weird, because, like, on the one hand, that makes it better than Dr. Cyclops. Yeah. On the other hand, that means that this movie, like, does not have the care put into its production that, like, Dr. Cyclops had. You know what I mean? Like, Dr. Cyclops had good special effects, but that was all that it had going for it. So this movie just has... Lionel Atwell. Right. That's basically the main reason to see this, is yeah. to see Lionel Atwell doing the mad scientist shtick one more time. Yeah. But again, you could just watch Man Made Monster, so... Yeah, very true. Yeah. So, is this horror enough to go on the list? Well, you know, you did point out two horror scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've said many a time, you know, that doesn't... A scene does not a movie make. Exactly. Well, I wanted to bring up... Another movie that would be good to compare it to. Okay. And that is Torture Ship. Right. Torture Ship, we did consider a horror movie. It's very bad. Yes. But its initial premise of prisoners on a ship to be used as guinea pigs Mm -hmm. and the, like, laissez-faire attitude about, like, yeah, these experiments are worth it Mm -hmm. kind of thing, that was, like, a pretty horrific premise. Yes. Compared to this premise, where it's kind of like, kind of seen it before, but suspended animation, it's not so much the, like, man with nine lives, because he had kind of a, um, you know, good intent, Mm -hmm. at least before he went mad, but, I don't know, you don't really hear enough about, like, what the experiment is, what exactly... Is his motives? Is it just to, like, I mean, show he, how great he is? It's it's interesting, because, like, he... From what we can glean from what is said in the movie, he wants to genuinely benefit mankind so that they will worship him forever. Like, like that's basically it, right? Like, he knows that this is going to help everyone, and therefore it's a good thing, and what he's going to get out of it is, like, he wants to be, like, new Jesus. <laughs> But, like, the thing about this movie is there's nothing in this movie I haven't seen before, right? It's just taking things from other places. The thing about this versus Torture Ship, I will say, this is at least identifiably, recognizably a movie. Yeah. In a way that, like, Torture Ship was a unique kind of... Experience. Incompetence (laughs) that made it, like, barely you know, recognizable. Like, Torture Ship is a movie in the same way that if I took some, like, you know, printer paper that I found in, like, your office's waste paper basket and smoothed it out, you know, just some memos and some emails and some, you know, reports and spreadsheets, and if I bound them at a professional bookbinder in, like, a leather cover, they would be a novel. That is how Torture Ship is a movie. Okay. <laughs> That was a very tortured yeah. metaphor. Well, I mean, you're describing torture ship. Um, Whereas, like, this is, like, recognizably, like, a movie. It's a very paint-by-numbers movie that's not putting really any effort into anything. So, you know, yeah. 
But I, I see where you're coming from in, com- in the comparison. When I was looking at movies to compare it with, I was thinking about Black Moon, which is another movie set on an island with, like, the whole, you know, oh, the natives thing. This movie isn't so much, like, be scared of the natives. Yeah, it's, it's less racist, for sure. Yeah, like, it's, it's still racist, but it's, it's not, like, be afraid of black people. Yeah, it's racist in that, like, oh, look at how primitive they are kind of thing, right? Yeah, he does outright call them more primitive, um, which was great. So, but I think the thing is, if this was truly horror, more would be made of the fact that, like, you know, he's not stuck on that island with them, they're stuck on that island with him, right? Because that's the essential horror of the situation is, is, you know, you're trapped on a desert island with, you know, the mad doctor of Market Street, right? Of the Gilligan Island setup where they have their own hut and it's a bit of a sitcom. Like someone comes in and you expect a laugh track. Yeah, the, the problem is, is that all of the main characters have exactly one, one personality stick. trait. Yeah. So because Margaret is only ever ditzy and Red is only ever like a lunkhead and Jim is only ever swooning over Patricia and she is only ever swooning over Jim and the officer guy whose name I don't remember, is only ever a snob. None of them have enough personality to actually react to their predicament under Atwell's character in any way other than, like, throwing out, like, a one-liner, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a great point. Um, Even if its setup is, like, you know, has horror parts to it, the film itself isn't really doing very much to kind of pick that up and create an atmosphere mm-hmm. besides the prologue. And the characters themselves aren't picking it up. Yeah. It's just Yeah, they're not of... acting like they're in a horror movie. Yeah. So I I feel like this is a an interesting case. But I think it means that this goes on the not applicable list. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree. This is sort of like if you had a Hannibal Lecter movie, right? With Anthony Hopkins, who I feel is is like today's Lionel Atwell, right? <laughs> is is he throwing sex parties on Christmas? I don't know. You'll have to ask him. <laughs> so, let's say you have a Hannibal Lecter, right? And in the first scene of the movie, he eats someone's face and brains because it's 2018. And then he goes on like a cruise ship to escape from like <laughs> Clarice, right? <laughs> and he bumps into like The Rock <laughs> and Like the cast of of Jumanji. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like like exactly just the cast of the new Jumanji sequel, you know, Jack Black and everybody. And then they like wash up on an island together and Hannibal Lecter like takes over the island until they escape at the end. Like that's that's the, to put this movie into, like, modern framework, that's what this is. They don't escape. They're just rescued. Sure, yes, yes, Escape Good point. implies agency. Right, very true. Um, that is totally, that is so good. I'm so glad. Um, yeah, so not cool. applicable. Yeah, cool. cool. Uh, we agree. Um, if you would like to see the not applicable list or the actual list of horror movies, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the other episodes that we've mentioned today, as well as an appeals box. If you feel like we should reconsider the Mad Doctor of Market Street and see if where it would go on the list, um, send us an appeal. You can also email us at screamscenepodcast 
at gmail.com or talk to us on Twitter at underscore Scream Scene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Leave us a rating and a review on a podcasting service that lets you do that. <laughs> Another way you can help out the show is by just spreading the word around. If you have a friend who you think might be interested in this kind of programming, let them know about the show because word of mouth is the most effective form of advertising. Another way you can help us out is by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. At higher tiers, such as the $5 level, you'll get extra rewards, uh, such as bonus audio cut from previous episodes, or at the $10 tier, monthly horror short fiction uh, that I write. Additionally, patrons get access to all sort of previous content, which includes an entire album of Halloween music that Sarah created uh, this October. So check that out at patreon.com slash Podcast. It's kind of nice that this is a shorter episode because we just had two very long episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little breather for sure, for sure. Yeah. What are we watching next week? Well, Sarah, next week... It's a momentous occasion in... kind of. In kind of? <laughs> it's another Universal Studios picture. They're just pumping it out. Yep. It's Ghost of Frankenstein. Oh shit, son. Yeah, it's a Frankenstein. Uh, starring Lon Chaney Jr., Bella Lugosi, Cedric Hardwick, and Lionel Atwill in a very small role. If memory serves, this one isn't very good. <laughs> yeah, this is actually the, the one where they basically cross that line. This is... They this jump is, the shark? Uh, um, yeah, they cut the funding. <laughs> Alright, well we will see you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye! Bye!